welcome to the Adversity Psychologist podcast, a podcast incorporating narratives about facing and navigating adversity, a mixture of people, their experiences and professional psychological discussion. I'm Dr. Tara Quintarillo. I'm a qualified and regulated psychologist with over 20 years experience of mental health, disability and human behaviour. I want to share people's stories of navigating adversity in the hope that through being heard, a dose of compassion and some understanding, we can help others in the face of adversity too. Hi and welcome to the Adversity Psychologist podcast. I'm Dr. Tara Quintarillo and today, oh I'm really excited, Friday, end of the week with a perfect guest. I have Dr. Yvonne Woft with me. Would you like to say hello and tell us a little bit about who you are and what's brought you on today? Absolutely. Hi, thanks for having me on. I'm really, really excited to be here today. Um, So I have recently been writing a book about um, both my personal and professional experience of trauma uh, and coping with trauma. So I'm a clinical psychologist who qualified probably nearly 20 years ago. um, And I also have a sort of pre-story in that at the age of 19 I had a very traumatic illness Um, and prior to that I hadn't had the best of upbringings either I I had quite a lot of um, I suppose childhood trauma wouldn't be an unreasonable way to to put it just in terms of um, you know a very angry aggressive sort of father and a mother who couldn't really protect um, in in that context and quite a lot of criticism and bordering on emotional abuse growing up I would say so so there's that kind of context and then there's this awful illness that I had I had meningitis with septicemia at 19 years of age which left me with a physical disability so there's all of that in the past and there's kind of you know the various ways I sort of stumbled through all of that and tried to find ways to manage and cope um And then there's kind of the story of, um, you know, following all of that, trying to make sense of it all in my own head, I found my way into studying psychology. Right. um, Because it kind of, I don't know, it sort of felt accidental at the time, but I think there was a part of me kind of really trying to make sense and understand how I'd got to where I was um, at that point. And then psychology degree led to sort of a curiosity about clinical psychology. And I think there was a part of me thinking, I want to kind of maybe provide what I didn't get when I was ill and when I needed it. And I felt there was a lack in my care. There was a lot of practical, medical, physical care. Yes, that's a good point, yeah but very little emotional care. Um, And I certainly wasn't getting that from my family because of the context prior. Um, And so I really needed actually a clinical or counselling or health psychologist, you know, to come in and kind of help me with all the physical changes to my body. I mean, dramatic physical changes to my body, losses that that were extreme. You know, I actually physically lost my leg legs um both legs above the knee so I wasn't really going to be able to walk again I was going to become a wheelchair user um so I really needed someone to help me through that and I really didn't get that level of psychological support that I needed and so I was left with this sense that there was something missing from my care 
and that was something yeah. I wanted to yeah. redress the balance in the future. Um, so that kind of led me into clinical psychology, which I entered as an older sort of trainee. Um, I was in my mid-30s when I started my doctorate in clinical psychology, whereas right. a lot of people are a bit younger than that. Um, so I didn't qualify till I was nearly 40 um, as a clinical psychologist. Um, but I've been doing the job for, well, quite a few years now. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I found myself then um, specialising, I suppose, in treating trauma, um, treating kind of post-traumatic stress kind of um, conditions. Yes. I'm not big on the specifics of diagnosis unless I'm doing a legal assessment. I'm going to ask about that. I'd yes. rather just yep. keep it a bit loose. Yeah, yes. yeah. I, I keep the diagnostics a bit loose. You know, we talk about trauma rather than PTSD and, you know, um, the after effects of trauma because people are more complex than the diagnostic categories really, aren't they? They are. And there's so much, it was all right to say, because we'll bring, I will come back to this again later as well, but there is so much around yeah. at the moment about, you know, changing perceptions around diagnoses. And so that's just really interesting in your mm -hmm. work, because there might be some kind of preconceptions about how a psychologist would do an assessment and then a formulation and mm -hmm. come up with that plan. And I think it's really interesting, because we were talking on air, um, off air actually, before we started recording um which is always when the best conversations happen I always think about yeah. this kind of shift in psychologists starting to use personal experience and bringing that into the work that they do um and we've probably been qualified yeah. around the same amount of time so when I did my training that was mm -hmm. a big no-no you know there was you know boundaries were very rigid and I'm actually really liking this and I'm starting to do it more myself bringing in that lived experience mm -hmm. which has kind of led to your book so let's bring that in now so you've written this book is it all right to just let us know because mm -hmm. I also love how it came about as well because I think it's mm -hmm. really important for yeah. public to kind of know what psychologists do outside of the clinic room what other things we're working on yeah. to try and help people yeah absolutely so um there's an organization called the ACP the Association of Clinical Psychologists which I'm a member of and about three and a half years ago, I got an email that was just sent out to all members of the ACP from one of the directors who's called Sarah Swan. And um, I don't think she's a director there anymore. I think she's left that role. Um, but she'd had this idea. She'd, during the pandemic, she'd actually had an experience of breast cancer um, yeah. and a journey through the treatment for that. Um, and she'd had the idea that writing about her journey through breast cancer and writing about it both from the lived experience perspective and from yeah. the perspective of a clinical psychologist working with people who experience adverse conditions, adverse yeah. situations, um, might be a really helpful angle for a book. So she started writing her book, Coping with Breast Cancer, which is now published and is available. And... Alongside doing that, she had the rather brilliant idea that there must be other stories out there among yes. clinical psychologists, probably among many other types of psychologists as well. But because she was working specifically with the ACP at the time, and because she is a clinical psychologist, this was the angle that she took, clinical psychologists with lived experience. Yes. There must be loads of stories out there. Let's invite clinical psychologists who are members of the ACP to commit pen to paper finger to keyboard um yeah and write their stories yeah. yeah and 
I saw that email and a little bit of me thought, oh, no, I couldn't possibly. And another bit of me thought, why not? Um, yeah. And somehow I pinged back an email really quickly um, and said, yes, I've got a story. Um, and that was about three years ago. And it's taken most of the last three years to get that story written and drafted, redrafted, edited. And it's actually going to be published on the 12th of December. And it's called Coping with Trauma with the subtitle Surviving and Thriving in the Context of Overwhelming Events, I think. Yes. Something like that anyway. Which is yeah. so exciting and congratulations because I particularly love the fact that it's that, you know, the ultimate what we call leaning in, sharing that personal experience, which I guess that's why it fits yeah. so well with this podcast. I'm so glad when you, you know, you wanted to come on that people have so yeah. much in them in terms of how they're able to cope with stuff and we can add a little sprinkle of psychology on top. And the thing that I really love, and we're going to come on to as well, is mm -hmm. kind of maybe the misconceptions that people might have about when you have trauma how you can mm -hmm. manage it you know whether it is something treatable what are your thoughts on that let's dive mm -hmm. straight in because I, I, I really love the philosophy <laughs> yeah. of your book and trying to break down some of these myths or barriers yeah I mean I think there's a really strong idea out there that you know the only valid version of trauma is post-traumatic stress disorder, which is diagnosable. And people have sort of stereotypical views of what that looks like. So you might have the sort of yeah. soldier who's come back from Afghanistan. He's seen his friends blown up. He's withdrawn. He's drinking heavily. He's exploding with rage at yes. tiny things he's yeah. you know very isolated he's isolating himself from friends and family he's very disturbed he's I don't know leaping under the dining table at the slightest noise outside yes. and there's this very sort of extreme kind of stereotype of what PTSD is yeah and I think trauma and its impacts is much 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 broader than that and I think we've seen this um you know sort of in clinic settings over over a long long period of time where people are coming with things that aren't quite as dramatic as the combat experience yeah. say and but you know all sorts of other experiences from maybe you know serious things like sexual assault or yeah. physical assault yeah. beatings childhood abuse childhood neglect um Lesser things as well. Car accidents can cause those kind of trauma um, yeah. experience yeah. as well. Um, you know, being bullied in school is something that, you know, is an experience that a lot of people have. And it can really impact what you believe about yourself, what you yes. think about yourself and how you then present yourself to the world. So it might not look like a classic sort of trigger for PTSD. Um, you know, getting picked on in the playground might look, well, everybody gets that, don't they? That's nothing, that's nothing to talk about. But it's yes. the impact it has on how you believe about yourself. You know, you, if you start to that's so important. believe I'm not worth it, I'm a terrible person, I'm not good enough. And then you start going yeah. into the world with that belief and acting as if you're not worth it, as if you don't, as if you're not good enough, then the world will respond in kind and you will get beaten, you will get um, treated badly, you will get walked yes. all over. Yeah. And that is the impact of trauma. So it's not always as obvious as, you know, yes, I saw all my comrades blown up in the middle of Afghanistan or Iraq. 
Um, it can be something as sort of everyday, I suppose, as, as childhood bullying or, or bullying in the workplace. It can chip away yeah. at your sense of, I am worth it. I do deserve better. Absolutely. I'm a good person. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just thinking just what you've said there, it's just I think that'd be quite profound for a lot of people to hear because I think there's a lot of invalidation, isn't there? A lot of minimizing about what people go through because yeah. perhaps there is that original kind of baseline of, well, this is what trauma is. And as you say, when I trained, yeah. trauma was PTSD. Things started to shift yeah. after 9-11, didn't they? When people were watching yes. what was happening on telly yes. and people started to experience what were trauma symptoms. But according to diagnostics, then, yeah. unless you were in a situation with immediate threat to life, you wouldn't have got a diagnosis um but it's just so interesting how many people may be experiencing adverse traumatic events and things like vicarious trauma i had somebody on a podcast yes. recently talking about that people in the front lines yes. police you know fire who might be seeing oh, yes. really horrific things how validating yes. to know that your experience matters and then obviously what's really important yes. and you put it so eloquently is just what that can then mean for your own cognitions how you live your yeah. life and how you may respond and other people respond so in terms of your yeah. book, then, because what I really love is there's something about the impact of it, the complexity. There's all the stuff around how the brain and body kind of play a part in trauma. But I really love this idea yeah. of healing and that misconception. Mm -hmm. Is that something you're able to enlighten us on a bit more? This idea of, you know, how manageable it is, whether trauma is just with us and that's how it is, because there's a bit of that out there. What is your take on healing? I think it is very treatable. I think even at the sort of extreme end of PTSD, you can recover, you can survive and you can thrive. Yes. And I don't believe that it's something you're stuck with for life. And I get a little bit irritated when I hear from people, oh, well, this is never going to go away, of course. Yes. Or, yes. you know, yes. this is a lifelong condition. No, it doesn't have to be. It's very, very treatable. We have, you know, we can cope with it and we can survive. And there are lots of things we can do ourselves. And that's what's in my book is kind of the self-help angle. Yes. There's lots of stuff from psychology that you can read about, you can put into practice. I mean, just things as simple as finding people who are supportive of you, you know, finding, <laughs> dare I say, your tribe, you know, your, your people, yeah. finding the people that can help you and support you. Um, things like joining, I don't know, activities that might give you another angle on life, give you another perspective. I mean, I absolutely yeah. love swimming and I also got into wheelchair basketball after becoming right. disabled yeah. um, and finding my people among athletes and swimmers and basketball players yes. and, you know, being able to sort of see other wheelchair users surviving and thriving um, yes. in the wheelchair basketball world was transformational for me. I didn't know that I could have a good life and it wasn't just about the sport. It was things like, you know, um, some of the other players that I was coming into contact with had careers, you know, they had jobs, they'd married, they had families. I was only 19 when all this happened to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I wasn't at that stage of life yet to really think about that. But I was worried because yeah. yeah. I felt I felt damaged. I felt, yeah. you know, I'm, I felt a bit less than. But when I was seeing other people with disabilities living their lives to the full, it gave me the sense that, 
I can do that too. So finding yes. your people, you know, really gives you that sort of wider view of what might be possible for you, no matter what you've been through. And I think that's where support groups can be really, really useful. You know, if you are yeah. a soldier who's come back from Afghanistan, then maybe, um, you know, military kind of support veterans groups might be yes. really, really useful for you. But similarly, survivor groups for people who've been through maybe sexual abuse or childhood neglect, you know, the kind of support yes. groups that might exist for that sort of thing. It doesn't have to be at the level of getting therapy necessarily, you know, finding your people, finding that support, learning skills, you know, there's so many psychological skills that you can learn, yes. you know, and there's yeah. so many technological ways now. I mean, there's books, you know, like mine that say, you know, you could try this breathing exercise that might just go a little way to helping you calm down when you're feeling overwhelmed. And that's not going to solve your entire trauma problem, but, you know, it might just help you through a moment. Um, but then there's things on the Internet now, you know, there's support groups on the Internet. There's um, podcasts on the Internet about surviving adversity and, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and there's little bits and pieces on YouTube about, you know, exercises you can do, skills you can learn. Um, there's all sorts now out there that people can access to help them cope and survive. And then maybe therapy is then the sort of next level if you can access it. ask about it. that. Yes. And that's, yeah. that's always an issue, isn't it? Um, yeah. You know, in, in the UK, we're very, very lucky that we have an NHS, but we are very aware that it has been, you know, significantly defunded over many, many years. And it mental has. health has always been kind of the poor relation to physical health. And mm -hmm. I think people do really struggle to access mental health support on the NHS at the moment. Um, good quality treatments are out there, but they're very, very hard to access. Um, yeah, and then- and We see a lot of that in the media, um, don't we? And I wonder if that makes a barrier, if that makes sense, you know, that people might. And I think already what you've done today is almost <coughs> kind of demystify this idea that it has to be straight to therapy. Obviously, you know, we yeah. do our due diligence here. If you're somebody who is experiencing really high intensity, high frequency issues, go to your GP, absolutely yeah. get that help. But absolutely. there's so much yeah. you've said about what we have in us, the self-help, the connection mm -hmm. with others, that shared lived yeah. experience that can also play a really valuable part in that. Absolutely, it can. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we all know there's things we could do that would make our lives better. Things like, you know, yes. yep. self-care, um, you know, going, going and getting a massage, perhaps, or, or going for a walk or, yeah, I don't know, taking 10 minutes to mindfully drink a cup of tea instead of, you know, slurping it down while we're rushing to our next thing yeah um we all we all know <laughs> we, we all, do we all know that we there's things we could do absolutely and and we could make our lives better and actually if you are really struggling with for example the after effects of trauma then yeah. putting that bit of time into doing those things is gonna reap rewards for you I think um and just but the there's compassion all, always that top. yeah yeah, being kind to yourself about it and actually accepting that, yeah, this is this is actually really difficult and I need to just look after myself through this. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's so interesting, yeah. isn't it, that actually many of us could probably, I used to say this, I used to run groups in the NHS and after a little while yeah. I used to say to the, the kind of attendees that you guys could probably now go away and run a group, but be compassionate in terms of we might know it, but it, there's often mm -hmm. blocks to how we use it. And as you said, what's really lovely, so we've got two psychologists here this morning, there are times yeah. when we will know what we need to do, but don't do it. And, and you know, just be okay. compassionate with that. You know, and what I really yeah. love actually then, I'm going to come on to another important bit, is you've talked yeah. about so much there, but it's the importance of self-help. I sometimes think self-help gets a rough ride as this kind of, oh, yeah, I'll try that, but I need to go and do this, you know, formal therapy. But self-help yeah. sometimes might become this kind of fearful thing. I've got to do it all. But I like the fact you said just small things. It doesn't have to be a huge <laughs> thing. Just lots of small things. Having that compassion for the days where even those small things might be hard, but keep trying but I like this difference yeah. between survive and thrive what for you what is mm -hmm. the difference then because someone might be listening going well what is surviving versus thriving <laughs> is there an answer to that question yeah How can we help people think a bit more about well, what I, like? I yeah I suppose it depends it, it's going to be diff different for every person isn't it um yeah. and I suppose surviving is getting through day to day and not feeling as though you need to end it all I think um that would be yeah. surviving and I think that's a very real um experience yeah. for many people yeah. who've been through trauma you know when you're yeah. constantly having reliving experiences you're, you're yeah. being reminded of an event the slightest thing brings it back to you sometimes yeah. it just feels too hard to go on and and that is when you really need to go to the GP and get some help yes. um for those immediate kind of risks um to yourself yeah. um yeah. but in those moments sometimes just taking a long slow breath and maybe doing something nice for yourself you know maybe just making a really nice cup of tea or going and having a long hot bath or going and lying on the sofa with a snuggly blanket and a, a pillow and maybe watching a trashy movie you know that can be incredibly good for you in the sense of you know it's just giving yourself a little break and say actually you know this is really tough and I'm just going to be kind to myself for half an hour and see how I feel after that and that might just be enough to bring you back from that thought of I just can't do this anymore yeah you yeah know? yeah like the beginnings yeah. of that journey to kind of thriving because I was really struck by what you said yeah. actually when we look at you know if it's a right to, to bring this in the, the, the stage of life that you were yeah. at and then you know trying yeah. to get in touch with your values what you want for your life what your hopes are your dreams are um and yeah getting a pathway back towards that as well you know yeah, what, what might matter to me and that verging into the thriving rather than the just everyday surviving you know I'm not just playing basketball but I'm forging connections it's helping me think about what I want more of in life um and I, I, I thought that was quite poignant when you said that yeah yeah and I think um I think then when you when you kind of find your people and you start connecting with yeah. things that maybe give you a sense of value it kind of snowballs it certainly did for me um in that you know I started playing wheelchair basketball like connected with all these people I could see people doing really well with basketball and I yeah. ended up kind of really rolling with that and you know ended up um getting on the GB women's team and going to Atlanta wow oh, I didn't know that <laughs> that's really, really that's amazing so that's kind of where thriving starts to happen yes. you know where you you kind of connect with something and then it just kind of snowballs into maybe yeah. a bigger achievement than you ever thought possible I mean I'd never thought 
thought I was going to be an international athlete before I was disabled. But then the trauma almost yes. unlocked something in me and the efforts to kind of rebuild my life after trauma yes. led to yeah. new possibilities. You know, I can rewrite the script here. You know, I don't have to be this person who was quite anxious, yes. quite probably quite serious, quite low in mood before my illness. And the illness yeah. kind of, it was like a reboot. You know, it was like, a, yeah. I don't have to follow the trajectory that I was on before. I can I can totally rewrite the script. And it, it did open up new avenues for me. Um, and that's, I think, where the thriving yeah. comes in. Yeah, yes. yeah. And I think the same thing happened when I started connecting, you know, because I'd always been very academic and academia I saw as my escape route from a quite difficult right. childhood. Yeah. And I'd gone away to college and then I'd been thrown back there at 19. So I thought I'd got away from home and started rebuilding, you know, started building a new life. Yes. And yeah. then, of course, I'm thrown back home, disabled, not quite sure what my options are. And I'm like, I don't want this. And I, not immediately, because there was a, quite a journey of investment to go through, obviously, but gradually started to think, you know, academia could still be my escape route. It could be my way yeah. to getting off benefits. Because, you know, I was 19, I was on, I, I, I could claim benefits. I was lucky, yeah. you know, UK sort of disability benefits at that time, mid 80s was, you know, it wasn't too yeah. bad. I could have yeah. lived that yeah. way um housing benefit mobility allowance you know I could have lived on that and that would have been okay yeah. but not quite enough for me and um yeah I saw my intellect as a way to sort of maybe make more of my life I suppose at that time I thought in spite of my disability um you know I could yeah. still amount to something by using my intellect and you know, I already had A-levels in the bag. So, you know, it wasn't such a leap to then a few years later, a good few years later, it was, I was probably 27 when I went to UEL to do my undergrad in psychology. I'd had a few yeah. jobs before then and kind of re-established myself in various yeah. ways. Yeah. Um, and then thought, actually, I need to go back and finish my education now and actually build towards some sort of career rather than jobs, um, you know, and There's kind of yeah, value in that just you. seemed yeah learning massively is yeah. learning and then not only learning but then sharing that learning has become yes. I think a massive massive value of mine um I think you know I will read anything I will just read and scroll the internet just because I'm a yeah. sponge for information uh, and knowledge and um yeah getting back into learning was it was like the lights went back on and yes. you know psychology was just so exciting such a fascinating thing to learn about and there were so many yeah. connections I could make there yeah just oh that's me that's me yeah there's a lot of me in that bit um and so, it was so, so even then there was then that personal see... journey was there that sorry I would have cut you off mm. even then there was that personal yeah, yeah. journey coming in meeting the knowledge and creating that yeah. I want to share this I like that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I suppose it's fair to say that the, there's always been different sides to me, um, different parts of me. Yes. And we, we talk about parts a lot in trauma therapy yes. work. Yeah. Um, but with me, you know, there's always been a really strong sort of 
I'm not good enough, I'm an imposter sort of part that was installed in me by my parents, I would argue. Um, And I don't think they're ever going to listen to this podcast. Well, my father certainly isn't, he's passed away, but my my mother's not technologically capable enough to uh, listen to a podcast so that's that's probably not a risk um but yeah um you know they they very much told me I wasn't good enough growing up and and right. were very critical of me and so there's always been that part of me that's thought oh I couldn't possibly you know so whatever I do there's always a part of me sort of driving forward saying yes we can do this we can do this and then a part of me pulling back saying no we can't no we can't and this is just become really normal for me and I kind of understand it better now and I can have a word with myself much better now about these sorts of things and I I can almost have a sort of board meeting in my head of kind of those parts of me and say actually no we can do this we know we know we can do this um and so now you know I'm doing things uh you know getting involved well I've been involved for a few years now in supervising people in EMDR therapy which is the main trauma therapy that I use and I'm a consultant so I supervise groups I supervise individuals I supervise on training courses so I'm getting involved in the training of EMDR now right um and that's all just so rewarding because I'm sharing my knowledge and my skills and you know that just feels so so much of a leap from kind of where I was at 19 really struggling with the adjustment to disability and yeah. and sort yeah. of recovery from trauma to now kind of you know teaching and educating on the treatment of trauma yes. and and that's what I would say is thriving for me it would be very different for other people yes. you know thriving for yeah. someone else might be I don't know turning their experience into art for example yeah um yeah or I don't know, writing a story about it or I don't know, or or just getting married and having kids might be thriving for someone else who's been through yeah. some sort of trauma. Um, there's no right or wrong way to survive or thrive with your trauma. Um, so I think it's important to get across, you know, it's about your own values totally. and, and meaning, yeah. purpose, what that looks like for you. Absolutely. It's connecting with what matters to you. And if it's family that matters to you, then, you know, maybe um, even if you can't have your own kids for whatever reason, you know, connecting with perhaps, you know, other children in the family, other people in the family and being supportive maybe to nephews and nieces and being that, you know, reliable auntie or uncle who's always there to support people. You know, so thriving can mean so many different things to so many different people. But for me, I think it was about success, learning. I mean, support, sporting success was a bit of a surprise to me. As I say, I wasn't yes. really an athlete yeah. before I was disabled. Um, but that that sort of happened. Um, and then career success has just been, you know, a gradual unfolding over many, many years of following, yeah. you know, just the next best step really and I think that's really important is just you know whatever you're doing just to take your next best step you know looking at the options in front of you do I hide under the duvet or do I write those few words that I want to write um you know or do I go and bake that cake and put it on Instagram um you know there's so many different ways to just take that next best step and who knows where that next step will lead you know it might lead you on to bake off you know just taking the example of putting your 
picture of a cake you just made onto Instagram might lead you ultimately to all your friends saying, get yourself on Bake Off and who knows where that might lead. So, you know, the leaning in, we call it, you know, do the next <laughs> yeah, thing. you know, lean into that. Yeah, stuff. exactly. If the meaning and purpose, yeah. they can sometimes be good drivers, can't they? You know what I love about because like you in your book, you have a whole section on ACT, which is acceptance and commitment therapy, which is one of the main yeah. models that I use. Yeah. I, I try and use yeah. it in my outside of work life as well. Um, and one of the yeah. things that we do a lot in that work is metaphor work. And and I love what you were saying oh, then about yeah. that kind of what we call inner critic that rocks up and says, no, this isn't going to be good enough. Or what are you doing? Yep. Um, but you yep. that very visual there, that kind of how you almost have the board meeting with your inner critic or inner critics around that table or whatever. Yeah in order to get back to what yeah. matters our brain's really good isn't it trying to protect us by going no 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 no, don't do absolutely. that absolutely there's something here about value absolutely. that even with the most difficult of life circumstances and, and thank you i always say i'm really yeah. really honored when people feel able to share their personal journey because you know when we look at your mm -hmm. childhood and then obviously what happened to you when you mm -hmm. were 19 it, you know there's, yeah. there's a lot of stuff there that could potentially kind of show I mean, up is. shape you know how you see yourself yeah. the world the future um and i think that's really important actually that you brought that into your book too you know the value the meaning to help yeah. us get that that you know just that little step from surviving to to thriving which I really like absolutely absolutely and I think you know I, I'll be honest a lot of therapy has helped on that journey as well at yeah. different times yeah. you know certainly since becoming a psychologist I've more and yes. more leaned into actually making myself vulnerable and going to therapy whereas yes, maybe yeah. before yeah, becoming a, a psychologist point. I'd have avoided that because yes. it felt a bit weak or a bit you know um well I didn't like making myself vulnerable I didn't want to go and talk about the difficult stuff I'd rather avoid it and just soldier on and you know um yeah. I think at one stage of my life that soldiering on was a coping strategy but yeah. I think there came a point in my life where what was a coping strategy actually became a bit of a block to my development yes. as a person yeah. and my progress so I took those leaps and went into different types of therapy at different times okay. and I'm you know I'm still I'm, I'm having some internal family systems therapy at the moment which is wonderful I'm loving it um you know and that very much is about those different parts of self and connecting with those different parts and yes. you know uncovering even old stuff that I hadn't thought was that important but also looking yeah. at stuff like um you know I've got a part of myself that's just very very busy and driven and you know yeah really kind of never would never stop if there wasn't another part of me saying hang on a minute this isn't sustainable that would fit with your board yeah. meeting metaphor as well wouldn't it but I guess it's, absolutely, it is absolutely. interesting isn't it yeah that cultural I still think in Britain we're still not where we need to be in terms of it being okay to go to therapy there's still people still make jokes no. about it and oh I need yeah. it what's wrong with me you know all mm -hmm. of those really unhelpful things but I think it's actually really yeah. refreshing to hear a uh, a mental health professional also talking mm -hmm. about that from, from lived experience as well and just one of the yeah. things that you cover in your book is obviously um the impact how our brain kind of responds to trauma and, and, and our yeah. body the relationship between the two but also yeah. I think it's quite important to kind of you know help people understand who are listening today get a taster before they go and get your book and dive in is yeah. that actually our brain can be really unhelpful at times it can mean well you know with all of this don't do that hold yourself back how it responds yeah. to things and I'm just thinking if people 
want to find out more about you and start to read your book what's helpful Mm -hmm. about why learn about that why do people need to know how the brain responds (laughs) and how the body responds it probably sounds like a really silly question but someone who's kind of new to psychology or is really Mm -hmm. maybe new to thinking about trauma even Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, a lot of people who come to me and I'd probably count myself in, in, you know, this in my earlier life, a lot of people who come to me for therapy think there's something wrong with me. Why can't I cope like everyone else? Why can't I succeed in life like everybody else? Why can't I attract a partner like everybody else? Why can't I just get the qualifications, get the good job? Why can't I be happy. Why can't I? Am I crazy? Is there something wrong with me? And particularly when people have experienced trauma, you know, that am I crazy is often a really big feature of what people bring to therapy. I'm I'm crazy. Why? Why do I have these ridiculous thoughts? You know, I'm doing all right in my job, but I think I'm a total imposter. Am I crazy? Why do I have these thoughts about myself? And actually understanding but that's our brain's way of trying to protect us. And, you know, it's um, it's also just, you know, our brain kind of almost splits off into different parts when we go through trauma. And so there's, there's maybe a part that's left thinking, I'm broken, I'm useless, I'm yeah. worthless, yeah. I'm rubbish. Yeah. And that part's in there and it shouts up every so often when it feels threatened. Yeah. But then there might be another part that's soldiering on, trying to get somewhere. And this just totally is is me from years ago. You know, there was a part of me saying, no, you can't possibly, you can't possibly, you can't possibly. And another part going, but I've got to, I've got to, I've got to, and really driving. And and so I was always in this kind of push-pull tension between the part of me that felt like an imposter, felt like I couldn't, felt like I wasn't good enough. Yes. And the part of me that yes. was soldiering on to try and overcome that. If I just try this next thing, I'll just overcome that and be better. But it was always in tension. It was always kind of, yes. you know, in conflict with itself almost. Um, and that feels a bit crazy when you're in that place of, you know, yeah, part tug of, of me really almost, driving isn't it? forward. Totally, totally. Yeah. And actually, if you can just drop that tug of war, you know, to use the act metaphor of dropping the struggle, and just yeah. say, actually, yeah. yeah, part of me really doesn't think I can do this, but another part of me knows I can. So let's just have a go and see what happens. And let's just take our next best step and see oh, what I happens. I like that. That's yeah. one of my favourites. And I think I sometimes, it. especially with stuff like trauma, and I do hear this a lot in my clinical work and other bits and bobs that I do, there's almost this, because of the enormity of it for some people, mm-hmm. there's yeah. this kind of almost, it's like a hook, you know, I've got to deal with it or almost like tick a box and Mm -hmm. I often think that sometimes that in itself is a a roadblock you know that we need to maybe just slow it down what can I do today what's my best step I can take and sometimes it might just be in this moment this one minute um and I think actually that can be a a really helpful way of thinking about it absolutely I mean for people to deal with it yeah I mean you know for people who are really struggling with the after effects of trauma everything can feel so totally overwhelming and you know so that the house might be getting in a terrible mess they might not be managing to get dressed they might not be managing to get a shower or get washed they might not be managing to feed themselves properly just making a cup of tea and sitting down and having that cup of tea might be the next best step that you can take or just going to the loo instead of kind of curling up on the sofa desperate for the loo but just can't move yes you know yeah that's pretty powerful isn't it yeah 
It is. It is. Yeah. But people can be so paralysed by what they've been through. And it can feel so overwhelming. And just thinking to themselves, I don't have to clean the whole house or get dressed, but I could just go and have a wee, you know. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> or a cup of tea. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That can be your next best step. And then from there, something else might follow or it might not. And that's okay. You just made yeah. me think there actually about if there's somebody listening to this podcast who might be supporting someone or knows someone who has been through trauma or yeah. you know, even if it's many, many years, just understanding that. Because I'm just thinking how you may be yeah. able to be that kind of helpful, compassionate, significant other for somebody when you're also able Absolutely. to. I was I'm just thinking what people might be able to get from your book as well is also just the understanding yeah. for other people what they're going through, yes. whether it's a work colleague, partner, friend, kind of whatever yes. that is. Um, yeah. I mean, so many people listening to this are going to want to go right well, how, how do we find you so your book is out on the Rame what date in December it's out 12th, 12th, 12th of, of December. December yeah right and if people want to find out like more about you where can they find you where do you hang out um, okay so I'm on Twitter as Dr Yvonne Waft at Catalyst Clinical Psychology I think is my handle or Catalyst ClinSci something like that um, I'm on Instagram. I'm not very active on Instagram. I haven't quite got my head around it yet, um, but I'm I'm a work in progress on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. Small steps, um, small steps. <laughs> absolutely. Just taking my next best step towards learning yeah. to do the social media stuff. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I, I Who am I on there? I'm Dr. Yvonne Woft on there as well. Um, I, yeah, again, I'm not particularly active on LinkedIn. I'm working on that. Um, and I'm on Facebook. I've got a Facebook page again called Dr. Yvonne Waft at Catalyst Clinsci, I think is the handle thingy um, on Facebook. So again, I mean, I don't post loads because I'm one of those people who gets really irritated when I'm bombarded with spam, basically. And I don't want to be that person that's spamming. I feel like I'm spamming everyone at the moment because of this book. And I feel like I'm spam away it needs to be out there yeah. <laughs> but I, I it absolutely it. I it. does and I I know that and, and I need to do it but at the same time there's a bit of me thinking oh gosh people are going to be so sick of seeing this bloody post about this book but you know I, I am still getting good manage sort that of... inner critic there <laughs> exactly 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 but you know as psychologists we're just as vulnerable to all that as oh, anybody we else aren't we are. I think sometimes we're right more so yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh I am definitely I am definitely. I am absolutely I own that completely um but yeah I'm I'm on all the all of those platforms I haven't ventured onto TikTok yet that's one I'm not aware I'm not connected with um and I'm sure there's other platforms that I, I'm not on. Um, but those are the four main ones that I am on. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook. So and people will can make find sure me they're there. all in the show notes for people to find <coughs> them, but also link to get your book when it's out. Um, and yeah. we'll get this podcast out before your book's out. Yeah. Um, so people can click straight on that link. Do it now if you're listening. <laughs> get that book. That'll be um, I always ask everybody. So we've had loads mm -hmm. of I could probably no, I need to have you back on again. I say that with so many people. Yeah. It's just we can't get it all done in one episode. There's so much to no. come on to. So we'll get you back mm -hmm. again if you'd like to come back and, and carry yeah, on. Sure. I want to talk a bit more about the brain body link. Um kind of yeah. unhelpful, helpful stuff you talk about in your book that we do, you know, oh, learning yeah. the difference between, you know, what is stuff that we might do, have compassion for the fact we do it, but it might not be the most helpful and I think you know just bringing in those elements you talk about mindfulness and and act therapy you know mm -hmm. which are really important of, of that healing journey 
But yeah. even though you've given us loads, if there was one mm -hmm. little adversity takeaway, what might that be? My little signature move. Do you know what? I think from what we've just been talking about, I think I just love the idea of just taking your next best step. Yeah. Just I'm gonna steal taking that, a deep taking breath. breath. Connecting with this moment yeah. and taking your next best step. Yeah. And if that's all you manage to do today, that's enough. Yeah. It's I a like start. That. That's yeah. going to be up there with my favourite little adversity takeaways, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you so absolutely. much for coming on, Yvonne. We'll have to tell people. So we've kind of connected before, but I've never actually seen you visually so it's just yeah, like I know. to properly chat and, and say hi and hopefully we'll yeah. get to do lots more of that we're in the same psychology oh, kind of so. forum where you feel like you know people but we haven't actually met um so yeah. it's so lovely to have you on on a personal and professional level um that's really made my day um so let's get this episode out there and then if you're up yeah. for it, let's get you back and, and do a, a follow-up as well definitely um, thank you so much Absolutely. for coming on oh Thank you so much for having me on. I've enjoyed this so much. It's been brilliant. It. So, oh, glad. Yeah, we'll definitely do it again. Yeah, we'll do it again. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll get a date. <laughs> Thanks, Yvonne. Thank you. Yeah, we will. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Adversity Psychologist podcast. I'm Dr. Tara Quintarillo, and it's been lovely having you along to listen to this episode. If you want to find more about me, you can find me at drtara.co.uk. So you'll see everything I'm up to, my media work, my collaborations, my clinical work, if you're interested in that. And of course, all the other episodes of the Adversity Psychologist podcast. If you're interested in coming on, you can also contact me and let me know what you would like to come and talk about. I love to hear from you.